Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 532 of So You Want to Be a Writer, the podcast that's all about writing and publishing. My name's Valerie Koo. I'm CEO of the Australian Writers' Centre, the world's leading centre for writing courses, and I'm your host. I hope you're having a good week. I'm very much looking forward to this week. I've already got stuck into the hot cross buns. I'm very lucky to have an incredible bakery near me, uh, and they do just hot cross buns to die for. Of course, if I'm not careful, I'm going to turn into a hot cross bun. But anyway, uh, one thing I'm going to try and do this Easter is actually take a break. Because for various reasons over the last several years, probably more than a decade, I've actually worked through the entire Easter break. I don't know why, but anyway, so it's never been a break for me. I've always had something on or something to prepare for or just something happening. And one of the things I decided this year was that I was going to try and create more space for myself. Now, my problem is that I actually don't have too much of a a problem creating space for myself. My problem is that I then fill that space, which of course defeats the purpose. But anyway, we'll see if I can resist the temptation this Easter to jam pack every minute of it. What are you up to? I hope you have a chance to take a little bit of a break yourself too. But here's one thing that you might want to amuse yourself with. I found a fun writing app this week called For the Words, as in the number four, For the Words. So this is an online game where you can win things and unlock achievements by, you guessed it, writing. This will really appeal to anyone who loves gamifying things, which I kind of love to do sometimes. So basically in this game, you are a dust warrior and you select monsters to defeat. And the way you defeat them is by hitting certain word targets. So for example, you can choose a little monster who only needs 50 words to be defeated and you hop into the text editor and away you go. And once you hit your 50 words, the monster is defeated and you earn points. So I signed up and set my target for 250 words a day. And after I went through the onboarding, my first challenge was simply to write 20 words. Easy, right? After that, I earned a wooden chest and some other things. Then you join other quests. In some quests, you can choose to write a certain number of words in a set time. And in other ones, you set a timer and you just have to keep writing the entire time. So like I said, it's perfect if you love, not gaming, but if you love gamifying things because, you know, you get that experience. I mean, if you love gaming, you'll love it too. But instead of killing monsters with weapons or you know, all those strange effects that you have in games, you kill them with words. It has multiplayer modes so that you can play against other writers as well. And there's an option for kids with parental controls. So it could be great if you've got young aspiring writers at home. Um, If you're interested, it's free to, this is an ad or anything. This is just fun, right? It's free to sign up for 30 days. And then you find, if you find that it works for you, you pay like four bucks a month or something, um, US dollars. But the good thing is that they don't take any of your payment up front or payment info up front. So that's nice. And if you want to try it out, let us know how you go in the Facebook group or just drop me a line or DM me or whatever. I'm interested to hear about your experience. By the way, if you're not in the Facebook group, make sure you join. It's free to join. It's uh, just search for So You Want to Be a Writer podcast community and request to join. It'd be great to have you in there. 
Anyway, if you want to check out the app, I'll put the link in the show notes, but it is for the number four, for the words.com. Oh, one very exciting thing I have to tell you about is our Easter sale. This is huge. It happens, well, once a year. Uh, and this year it's starting on the 5th of April and ends midnight on the 10th of April. So it's through the Easter period and it's great because you can get up to 40% off on over 30 courses. That's huge. So if there's a course that you've always had your eye on, this is the time to get it, right? You'll have to wait another year before it comes around. And whether you want to learn about, you know, how to structure your story or develop authentic characters or even like uh, write a media release or explore content writing. Um, if, if fiction's more your bag though, you know, there's, as I said, some of those ones that I've mentioned before, or, or you can learn how to write compelling scenes in your story. There is, there are so many courses, um, up to 40% off, there will be something there for you, no matter what your area of interest is in, in the world of writing, of course. You can find out more at writercenter.com.au slash sale. That's writercenter.com.au slash sale. Now, our competition this week, I have three copies of Mim and the Disastrous Dog Show, which is the travelling bookshop number four, by Katrina Nanastad, illustrated by Cheryl Orsini. This week's giveaway is filled with fun adventures, a travelling bookshop, a dog show, including a disobedient bulldog, a horse called Flossie, and more. I have three copies of Mim and the Disastrous Dog Show, which is the fourth book in the Travelling Bookshop series. Mim Cohen roams the world in a travelling bookshop with her dad and brother and a horse called Flossie. Flossie leads them where she will to the place where they're needed most, the place where the perfect book will find its way home. Now Mim has arrived in the Cotswolds just in time for a dog show. The judge, Lord Melville Timms, is in a pickle. He has judged cakes and flowers and vegetables, but never dogs. And his bulldog, Bubbles, is shamefully disobedient. Mim knows they're here to help Lord Melville Timms, to give him courage to prevent a dog show disaster. If only Mim could find Lord Melville Timms the right book. If only Dad would stop giving him the wrong book. Okay, gorgeous. Sounds gorgeous. Uh, Mim and the Disastrous Dog Show. We have three copies to give away. Just go to writercenter.com.au slash win. Such a great book for the kid in your life. That's writercenter.com.au slash win. Entries close on the 10th of April. And now... Are you ready for the word of the week? Well, I hope you are because it is Clepsydra. Clepsydra. C-L-E-P-S-Y-D-R-A. Clepsydra. What is it? It's a water clock. It is a device for measuring time by the regulated flow of water or mercury through a small aperture a small hole. It's a bit like an hourglass, except instead of using sand, it uses liquid. And if you do a Google image search, you'll see that they're actually quite complicated. There you go, Clepsydra. And that was the word of the week. Now let's move on to our writer in residence this week. Today, I'm talking to Leon Tanner, one of Australia's most respected authors. 
She focuses on writing for children and her latest novel is Spellhound. She has published 13 novels and one picture book. Her books include The Keepers Trilogy, The Hidden Series, The Rogues Trilogy, A Clue for Clara, Rita's Revenge, and her picture book is Ella and the Ocean. Her stories have been translated into 11 languages and she has won so many awards that actually it's too long to list. <laughs> but they they do include the Orialist Awards for Best Australian Children's Fantasy, the New South Wales Premier's Literary Award, the Tasmanian Literary Award, the Sisters in Crime, David Award. I Like, like I said, too many to list. Anyway, thank you so much for joining us today, Lian. Oh, thank you for having me here, Valerie. It's a real pleasure to be here. Congratulations. This is your latest novel, Spellhound, Dragons of Hallow. Now, for those who haven't got a copy of it yet, what is this story about? Oh, gosh. Uh, it's the story of an enormous magical pup, a child queen, and a very small, very frightened Minchwigan who has inherited the unfortunate title of destroyer of dragons and protector of her people. And these three are setting off to find the dragon that has turned their world upside down. This is awesome. I, I loved it. I devoured it in one sitting. Um, but before we go into some of the details about writing this book, I'd love to provide people with some context. When did you decide that you wanted to become a novelist? Oh, gosh. Uh, look, I, I was one of those kids who wanted to be a writer back when I was in grade five. Uh, and... It was something I always did. Writing was something I always did. You know, like I'd I'd write plays and take them along to school and force my classmates to take part in them. Um, I'd I'd write dreadful poems. You know, those kind of rollicking banjo Patterson poems, kind of with with that very very strong rhythm. Um, and I wrote stories. I wrote wrote lots and lots and lots of stories. Um, I got waylaid by life. You know, so so all through primary school and through much of secondary school, I was going to be a writer. Uh, and then I got waylaid by university and boys and <laughs> jobs and all those other things. And it kind of it kind of went away for a little while. You know, it was kind of always there in the back of my mind. Um, but it came back very strongly when I was in my late thirties. I uh, I studied drama, uh, an associate of diploma in drama, and I started writing again as part of that course. Uh, and that and then I started working as an actor. I worked as an actor for three years with Salamanca Theatre Company, uh, and I wrote plays for them. And that kind of got me back into it. And from then on, I was very very focused. Then and and because I was. Uh, as I said, Salamanca Theatre Company was a theatre and education company. So we were performing for children. So I was writing for children. Um, and when I left there, I, I was determined to make a living from writing. You know, I, everybody said, no, you can't make a living from writing. And I thought, well, I'm going to try. And so I was writing all sorts of different things. I was writing, um, freelance journalism. I was writing travel stories. I was writing stories for the Women's Weekly. I was writing radio plays and stage plays. And I was writing short stories for children. And the short stories for children were the one, I mean, I had a reasonable amount of success with all of them, but the short stories for children was the one that I had the most success with. And they were picked up by um school magazine, the the children's magazine that's run by the New South Wales Department of Education. 
And they just kept publishing my stories. And one day one of those stories started to turn into a novel. So it, it kind of took off from there. What age uh, do you think that this, the latest novel, Spellhound, most suits? And what age do you, is that the age that you typically write in? Um, this, Alan and Unwin are, are marketing it as seven to 11 year olds. And that seems fairly accurate to me. You know, like, I mean, it, it, of course, it varies so much depending on kids' reading age and all that sort of stuff. But, and I, I have an, a, a grandniece who is, I think six, whose mother reads it to her and, and she loves it. Um, but yes, that, that's kind of an age group. My earlier trilogies, my fantasy trilogies, the Keepers trilogy, uh, the Hidden series and the Rogues trilogy, they were slightly older. They're all middle grade, but they were slightly older, like sort of nine to 13. This seven to 11 year old age group is such fun to write for. So I've kind of, I, I slipped back a couple of years when I wrote A Clue for Clara and Rita's Revenge, and I discovered that I really like writing for that age group. Um, that sort of grade three, four, five age group is, is a delight to write for. So that's kind of what I'm sticking to at the moment. So when you do actually change age, age groups, even though they are only a difference of a matter of years, but at that age, those years are massive, they're significant, mm. and it's very different in terms of the types of things you can write about in your vocabulary and so on. What do you have to do in your brain to shift? Because if you've been doing like nine to whatever, you know, what do you have to do? What was the other age? What was the age of the um, other fantasy books again? Uh, about nine to 13. Nine to 13. If you're going from nine yeah. to 13 for, to seven to 11, what do you have to do in your brain to shift? Um, I think it's kind of a, it's a shift towards innocence, uh, in, in, in my head and in my writing. So, um, what I, I love writing a naive protagonist, you know, like, like it's one of the, the most enjoyable things for me to do. And, and I did that with Clara and with Rita, and I've done it to a certain extent with Spellhound that, that, you know, kind of protagonist who kind of, really has no idea what's going on in the world around them, but kind of thinks they know. Um, so it's partly a shift towards innocence. On a purely practical level, it's shorter sentences. It's more white space on the page. So if you look at one of my earlier trilogies next to Clara or Rita or Spellhound, then the text of the earlier trilogies is much denser on the page than my more recent ones. You know, you, you're dealing with kids. Oh, and my chapters are very short uh, and the action is quicker. So you're, you're dealing with kids who are not as confident with reading and so it, it has to look less intimidating. Um, my, my older books look a lot more intimidating for those younger kids. And that was one of the reasons why I, why I shifted, actually, because I was very conscious um, that those early trilogies were kids who were good readers loved them, but kids who were uncertain readers, they looked really intimidating, those books, because they were long, you know, like there were 60,000 words, which is long for a middle grade book. Um, and so I'd go into schools and I'd be aware that I was kind of marketing to the to the good readers and that I really didn't have anything to offer the kids who weren't such good readers and I really wanted to do that. So that was kind of when I shifted, made that shift. 
So can you walk us through, if you can remember kind of like a, a vague timeline of when this idea for Spellhound first mm-hmm. came into your head and then how long till you knew that's going to be a novel and then how much gestation time in your head before you actually started writing and how long it took to write your first draft and just step us through the the birth of this Oh, look, this this was a, a strange one, actually, because it came out of a failed book. Um, a few years ago, I wrote a book called Big Dog. And uh, I, I I loved the idea. I had this enormous pup this this um, a, as a main character, and, and he was a lovely character. He was a delightful character to write about. And so uh, um, I wrote the story and I couldn't make it work. I absolutely could not make it work. You know, like I, I, I spent about a year on it. Um, I, I rewrote it, uh, five or six times, the whole thing. Uh, and I looked, I read the whole thing through and I thought, I like the beginning. The middle doesn't, it just starts falling apart in the middle and it just doesn't work. And I could not fix it no matter how I tried. So I put it aside. I, I put it to one side. Um, and that's when I wrote Clara. That's, that's when I wrote a clue for Clara. I sent it to my agent, incidentally, just in case I was wrong, you know, like, and she kind of read it and said, no, Leon. <laughs> oh, no. So, right, you know, my instinct about it was completely right. Um, so I wrote a clue for Clara and then I wrote Rita. And, but this, uh, and I was looking for what I was going to write after Rita, you know, because I wasn't going to write another book in that, in that world. Um, and I kept coming back to this big dog story and I kept circling around it and couldn't, 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 again, tried to fix it and I couldn't. Now, many years ago when I was writing plays, um, I was part of a panel where somebody, a director, was talking about that sometimes you have, if you've got a manuscript that's not working, sometimes you have to do the broken vase version. In other words, you don't just paint the vase, you don't just put flowers in it, you take a hammer and you smash the whole bloody thing and then you pick up the only pieces that you like and you start with those pieces. And so I decided that that was what I was going to have to do with this. So I did the broken vase version of this. I I took out the things I liked, which was the enormous, naive, gangly, clumsy pup, Um, a girl called Rose, uh, a dragon, and some really horrible witches. And that that was pretty much what I what I adored from that first picture. And I started with those things and I thought, okay, we ignore everything I've done. And I started just throwing ideas down on paper, who these people might be, you know, what they might might have to do with each other. Um the timeline, oh gosh. Um, I probably threw ideas around for a few weeks, I think. I, I can't remember it now. I've written another book since then. Um, but probably threw ideas around for a few weeks, uh, and and I was looking back at that, for, uh, back at that notebook the other day because I keep a solid notebook, you know, for for every book I do, um, and as soon as I start getting a, a, an idea that that I think is going to work, I will I will start I put everything in the notebook. Very close to the beginning of that notebook, uh, before I started playing with these ideas. I had written, what would my writing look like if I was if I took more risks? What would my writing look like if I was more playful? And this is the story that came out of that. Um, and 
it was it was the playfulness of it that I started to love. And I started thinking, I think I want a narrator. I, I think the feeling, you know, one of the things that I really like about the beginning of a book is that it usually comes with a feeling of what yes. that book is going to is going to feel like. You know, is it going to be all cobblestones and gas lamps? Is it going to be a, a rural detective story? You know, this this one felt it felt old fashioned. It felt as if I wanted a narrator sitting by the fire telling these kids the story. That was sort of the feeling that I wanted to have in this story and the feeling that, that felt right for this story. Um, so I played around with that for quite a while and the narrator voice came quite quickly. Um, and I, oh gosh, how long did I write it over? Probably around about nine months, I reckon, is, is usually my standard for these. It's about 40,000 words and that's usually about a nine-month book for me. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> well, I, I'm, I, I want to talk about your writing. Pro I want to talk about your writing process, but I just want to touch on your comment about the narrator because the narrator is fantastic, and I'm not going to give any spoilers. Everyone, you got to go get a copy for yourself to, because then you, you'll you'll discover who the narrator is, and it's it's just beautifully beautifully done and I love I just want to say that I didn't know who the narrator was at first for quite a bit of the book I had no idea who the narrator was I had several possibilities but I didn't know who I was going to be sorry for interrupting you I just no not at all because I think the thing that's so incredibly well done and like I said you have to go and buy this book and read it um, yourselves because I think that so well done is that even though you have a narrator there are each chapter is very clearly from someone's point of view mm. it's it's like the narrator being in that person's head kind of thing so it's so seamless and it's so clever because you still have that you still have a, a, a narrator but you still are very clearly understanding what each of the characters is going through. It's such a great balance. Um, when you say you want it to be more playful, uh, how does one generate more playfulness? <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea. I think it was just, I just had that intention. I, I think it's, um, I mean, I mean, I don't know. I, I, I think a slight silliness. I mean, there is a slight silliness about this book, you know, like, um, I, I suppose it's maybe it's letting your imagination fly further than you expect it to to, to do. Um, for me, a lot of it is to do with handwriting. I am more playful when I handwrite than I am when I type. Um, As in writing with a pen. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I didn't. I don't mean that I wrote the entire book by hand. I I, I don't do that, <laughs> but. A lot of my discovery of this story was done by hand. Um, and there's something about that direct physical connection between the brain and the hand that is really different for me creatively than the slightly more distant connection between the brain and typing. Um, okay. And so... Uh, I just played around. I just play. I played around with pictures. I use pictures a lot when I'm when I'm dreaming up a story. I'll, I'll find uh, pictures that give me that kind of that that zing feeling that, that's kind of quite hard to describe. That 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 feeling of ooh 
oh, there's something about this picture that really speaks to me. Um, I, I use those a lot when I'm when I'm dreaming up a story. Uh, and so I would do a lot of um, timed writing to pictures to see where that went. And what that's do you mean by things, timed uh, writing to pictures? Right. Okay. So I'll get a picture. Um, so I had a picture of an old ship on a on a on a it looked like as if it was on a lake but it was a rusty old ship and it had trees growing all over it it was obviously ancient um and so i set my timer for 10 minutes and said okay i'm going to write non-stop for 10 minutes about this and that was where the floating forest came from you know like i started writing and the words the floating forest came into my head and and it was nothing and of course the actual floating forest in the story is nothing like that ship with the trees growing out of it but the idea came from that throwing down words very quickly and not thinking too much mm. i i've i've heard this described this this whole you know we all recognize as writers that the unconscious mind is such a valuable resource. You, you know, it's, it's the most powerful tool that we have. And I have heard it described. There's an American author called Jennifer Cruzy, um, who calls it the girls in the basement. And I love that phrase, you know, sort of because it's like, it's like I'm writing away and somewhere down the stairs in the basement, there are these crazy women kind of throwing ideas up the stairs to me. Um, and I really, I really, I really respond to that image. Okay. So you, you've got, apart from this, this naive gangling pup, the pup, there is, as you said, the character Rose, who is a 10 year old young child queen and yep. there is um also flax who is a minchwigan and yep. they have they go off on this big adventure to you know save their home and and and, and some people and, and that sort of thing how how did you know what was going to happen did you already map that out before you started or uh, you're shaking no. your head so <laughs> No, um, I, my my writing style has changed. My writing process has changed quite a lot over the years. I used to be an intense plotter, so so all my fantasy trilogies, I plotted them like crazy before I wrote them, um, and part of that was to reduce my levels of anxiety as I wrote, uh, because and part of it was to to be sure that there was a story there before I spent a year writing it because, you know, it's very easy to spend a year on a book and then discover that there's actually no story there. Um, so I, I used to plot like crazy. When I started writing A Clue for Clara, I really didn't know where it was going. And the first thing I did was not the plot. The first thing I did was find the writing voice. Um, and that took me quite a long time to find and but i've i've come to think that for me finding the writing voice is more important than working out a plot initially you know that the it, that the writing voice tells me who's telling the story what they sound like um what sort of what sort of character they are, how they speak, all those sorts of things. Um, once I've got that, I am much more confident going ahead and, and I will know little bits of plot, you know, like I'll, I'll, I'll know markers here and there. Um, and I will usually know roughly how it's going to end. 
and I will do bits of writing until it sort of starts to come, until st the story starts to flow a bit. And then I'll kind of plot as I go. So that, that's kind of where my process is at the moment. That will probably change again. Uh, but it's it's an interesting way to do it. It's a, it, For me, it's kind of a more relaxed way to do it. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I used to power through the first draft, um, uh, trying to write 2,000 words a day, and not go back, you know, not edit at all until I'd got as far as I could. And then I, because I wasn't editing at all, I'd, I'd get somewhere near the end and there would be so many internal contradictions in the story by then that I would have to stop and go back. Um, and, and that worked for me then because I was learning, I was learning to write and it stopped me overthinking the first draft. Um, now I find that I can edit as I go without becoming obsessive about fixing sentences and things like that. And those things that when you're an early career writer, those things that can stop you from ever actually finishing a story. Uh, so that's not an issue for me now. I can, I can edit as I go to a certain extent and I can plot as I go. Um, and it's, it's, it's more fun. It's, it's <laughs> not as hectic and it's more fun. And, and my, my my main intention at the moment is to have fun with my writing. Mm. And so in the nine months that it took you to to write this, um, did you have do you have things like a word count goal now in your current iteration? No, no. Um, I I didn't I, I didn't have a word count going at all while I was writing this, uh, which was kind of a bit scary at times. Um, but it wasn't something that I worried about. I was aiming for around about 40,000 words, you know, like I had that, I had that total word count in my head because that's where these slightly younger books, the stories seem to naturally fit for me, that, that 40,000 word level, but I didn't have a daily word count or anything like that. And so finally, um, the, my last question is, what was the most challenging thing, challenging thing about writing this novel? And then what was the most rewarding thing? Oh gosh. Um, the most, probably they're almost the same thing in that um, I, I have an online, I'm part of an online writing group, an online crit group with um, Deborah Abella, Tristan Banks, Zanny Louise and Sarah Armstrong. And we started this back in 2020 during the COVID lockdowns. Uh, and we meet once a month and we send each other chapters from our work in progress a few days before and we read them through and then we talk about them, you know, for the next hour and a half. Um, and that has been absolutely amazing for all of us. You know, like it's kind of, uh, I think, given us all more writing courage, if you like, to, to sort of to take more risks in what we're doing. So fairly early on in this, I, I'd written, I'd written a bit of it. I'd written probably about a third of it. And I was writing this narrator and I had, I was very unsure about the narrator. There wasn't nearly as much narrator in the book at that stage as there is now. I was very unsure. I kind of wasn't sure whether it was too cutesy, uh, whether it, you know, the, those sorts of things that, uh, like, I liked it, but I didn't know quite how biased I was. Uh, so I took it to my writing group and I, with great trepidation, 
uh, said, look, can you tell me what do you think of the narrator? And they said, we love the narrator and we want more. So that was kind of when the narrator started becoming a, started to become a much more much more fixed persona within within the story. So are you saying that your um, trepidation about the narrator was the most challenging thing and yet the most rewarding thing was the development I, of the narrator? Yes, yes, I think so. I think so. Um, once I got the narrator right and once they gave me the confidence, because I was really didn't have the confidence about the narrator at first, once they gave me the confidence to press ahead with the narrator, then then that was what um, that was what drove the book really. Wonderful. Okay. Well, I think that the book is absolutely fantastic. People should absolutely get a copy, buy it for the kids in your life, buy it for yourself because it's a great read and a great story. And thank you so much for your time today, Leon. Thank you so much, Valerie. I really appreciate talking to you. I hope you enjoyed my chat with Lynn. Lynn's such an incredible author and she also kindly took time to speak to our advanced students who are in our Write Your Novel and Edit Your Novel programs. Uh, she had a great session with them where they could ask her all their questions and learn more, even more about Lynn's writing process and how it could apply to their novels. That's part of our industry events that we hold when you're part of the Write Your Novel and Edit Your Novel programs. And let's hear from somebody who's done one of those programs. This podcast is brought to you by the Australian Writers' Centre, a world leader in writing courses. If you're serious about completing your own novel manuscript, immerse yourself in our inspiring and motivational six-month program, Write Your Novel. Filled with weekly workshopping and practical lessons, you'll receive advice on structure, dialogue and much more, as well as tips on publishing. The online program fits around your weekly schedule and you'll get extensive personal feedback from your classmates and tutor throughout the program. Margaret Morgan's novel, The Second Cure, is out now through Penguin Books Australia and it's also being turned into a mini-series. Here's what Margaret says. Hi, my name is Margaret Morgan. I'm an author. Um, I've just had my first novel published and I'm working on my second. I've been a writer all my life, um, either professionally or just for fun, and squeezed into other professions, but um, it's definitely where I'm staying now. I decided to do the course at uh, the Australian Writers' Centre, um, Write Your Novel, the six-month course, when a friend told me about it, and I realised it was exactly what I needed at that point to helped me get the novel written and to give me the kind of support I needed. I was prompted to take the course specifically because I wanted the kind of encouragement and support that a six-month ongoing course would allow me. The tutor in the course was really fantastic, somebody who's written many, many novels herself and um, is very encouraging and really is good at identifying the strengths and weaknesses in writing. One of the impacts that the course has had on me has been to demonstrate to me that I actually can be a writer, can be a novelist specifically. It has allowed me to make connections that otherwise I wouldn't have been able to make within the industry. And probably one of the best things about it is the writing group that was formed with a bunch of us in that particular course. And that was like, what, three or four years ago. We're still meeting every month and critiquing each other's work and it's a really valuable thing. Through the course at the Australian Writers' Centre I discovered that I really could be a novelist and that was such a revelation to me and such a delight. It was something I'd always wanted and suddenly now I've got it. I would say you really should join the Australian Writers' Centre because 
It's staffed by real professionals. It's a really good, well-structured organisation that's got great courses that are practical as well as inspiring. Anyone who's thinking of doing one should really think about it very seriously because it's a very, very valuable organisation and the courses are terrific. Find out more at writercentre.com.au slash novel writing. All right, we're now almost at the end of this week's episode. I want to give a big shout out to TNM 1985, all the way from South Africa, who took the time to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Thank you so much, TNM 1985. <laughs> they said, awesome podcast, awesome guests. A few episodes in, and I've already had some super valuable takeaways. Really happy I, I found this. Subscribed and will be adding this to my future rotation. Thanks for the show. I'm so excited when people discover us. Uh, even though we're 432 episodes in, there are people who obviously still haven't um, found out about us. And I'm so thrilled to hear when they get value out of it and can go through the back catalog. So thank you so much for um, leaving that review. And of course, if you have 30 seconds to leave us a review or rating on Apple Podcasts, which is probably the main one um, that people are looking at, I'd really be grateful because it helps us in the rankings and it helps other people find us as well. Now, I want to leave you with this fun fact. Did you know that in 1884, a man named Austin Waugh won a competition in Titbits magazine to write the longest sensible sentence, every word of which begins with the same letter. The longest sensible sentence, every word of which begins with the same letter. And his entry is entitled, An Accommodating Advertisement and an Awkward Accident. And it actually goes on for 427 words, all of which start with the letter A. And no, I'm not going to read it to you, but you can find it in the link that I'll provide to you in the show notes. <laughs> the longest sensible sentence, every word of which it begins with the same letter. Love it. All right. We've come to the end of the episode. Uh, I look forward to chatting to you again next week. I really hope that you have a good Easter and that you check out our Easter sale. That's writercenter.com.au slash sale where you get up to 40% off almost, uh, well, over 30 courses. So you'll find one that works for you. In the meantime, feel free to connect with me on social media. I'm at Valerie Koo on Twitter and Instagram, and I'm over at ValerieKoo.com. Thanks for listening, everyone. And I look forward to chatting to you again next time. Thanks for listening to So You Want to Be a Writer. You'll find the show notes at writercenter.com.au slash podcast or sign up for our awesome and often hilarious weekly newsletter at writercentercomau slash news, where you'll find writing resources, giveaways, competitions, and much more.